Thanks. Yeah. I also appreciate the applause ahead of time because, you know, I'm a, by profession, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. And so rarely is there applause. And so that's nice, especially since I haven't done anything yet. It's nice to say, like, oh, yay. And then that way at the end, you're just like, well, let's not do that again. Um, but yeah, like, I, like Eric said, I'm a, I just, uh, I'm a regular attender here. And so um, watch out. You might draw the short straw next week and be preaching next week. Uh, and that might be uh, exciting. And I'm sure you'd do a better job than what we'll do here. Um, anyway, uh, wow, that was, uh, I could take a nap after that song. That is intense. Uh, like the whole story right there. I just outlined in uh, really hard rhythms, uh, which I think is intentional because it shows at least me as I'm trying to find like, where, when, when am I starting again? Um, how absolutely intensely intricate all things have been made. Um, and as, a, as that song even began, it, it, it lets us in and Let's us listen a little bit to the song that God started to write at the dawn of creation. I was actually here during rehearsal, um, which I love to come uh, for rehearsal because it reminds me of the amount of energy, effort, and time that these people put in to welcome me into this space of worship in the throne room of God. And so I'm always humbled by that. So let's thank them. Um, and it was great because they started that song in rehearsal. And they're grooving along, right? And all of a sudden, Joey on the keys is like, I think I'm in the wrong key. And Eric's like, mm-hmm, whatever. And he just keeps playing. Oh, they're just going to keep doing their thing. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Eric's like, what? Has something happened here? And he's like, oh, shoot, I have it in the wrong key. And turns out, right, yeah, that was, so they started over in the right key. Um, hard song. But it also reminded me of my own life. Right As God created this orchestration at the dawn of creation, he said, here's a path that I want you to walk in. And, and to the degree that over the time of human history, there's a moment that happens where he says, I'm, I need to come. I need to show you. I need to show you how it is that you might walk in my way and my love and my grace. I'm going to show you that you, the way in which you might live in the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I'm going to show you. So Jesus shows up and walks around planet earth to the degree that he says, I want you to be a part of it. And it's going to take my death and my resurrection that you might enter into that. It's beautiful. What a story. But it's that story, it's that song that sometimes, as I so desperately want to sing that same song with Jesus, I start to realize I'm singing off key. Just like they had to realize this morning. And yet, sometimes it takes me longer to realize it than I should. And someone says into a microphone, I think we're off key. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're good. Just plow forward, David. Just keep going this way. It will bring you to life and to flourishing. And I just get further and further away from the life and the love that God is desperately hoping that I enjoy with him. Until finally someone says, hold on a minute. Come back home. It's pretty amazing. I love that song. A hundred billion times. I heard a quote once. It was in 1997, so it's a couple of years old. I'm old enough to think that's only a couple of years old. Anyway, 
It was was said by the CEO of Coca-Cola Corporation. He said this. He said, a billion seconds ago, the Beatles performed on Ed Sullivan. Like, that's fast. But a billion seconds ago is 31 years. He said, a billion minutes ago, Christianity was spread. A billion minutes ago was 1,900 years ago. A billion hours ago, life emerged on the planet. That's because a billion hours ago was 114,000 years ago. And then he said this, a billion Coca-Colas ago was yesterday morning. His point was like, Coca-Cola's great. Anyway, not my point this morning, obviously. But 100 billion The pursuit of the love of this God as found in Christ Jesus is to a scale that I cannot comprehend. So I don't know where you are this morning, how far off key you are. I can guarantee you, you're not a hundred billion off key. And he says, come back home. That's pretty cool. Pray with me, please. Father, may your word be our guide, your spirit, our only teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ, our single concern, in whose name we pray. Amen. I want you just to listen, like just listen, not read along as, you know, Westerners like to do, but just to listen in the same way that the original audience to this story would have just leaned in and tuned a listening ear to what it was that God was revealing in the way in which he unfolds all of reality. So just listen then to the word of the Lord from the book that we love. When the Lord God made the land and the sky, no plant had yet sprung up from the ground and no field had been prosperous because God had not yet sent rain on the land to water it. And there was no one around to even work the land. And yet rivers sprang up and watered the surface of the ground and God made a dam man from the dust of the Adumah, from the ground. And there he breathed the Neshemach Haim, the breath of life into him. And he became a living creature. No, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in the land of delight, Eden. And there he put the man in the garden. And from that, God decided to make and spring up all kinds of trees, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for eating. And in the middle of the garden, he put two trees, one, the tree of life, and another, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, what I'd like to do this morning is just, again, understand the realities that are unfolding in this story. This is chapter 2, or page 2 of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up to, you know, page 1 and page 2 
uh, of the whole book. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got some up here. Feel free to come and grab them and use them today or take them home. They can be yours. Put your name on the inside because you maybe are like me and leave things around. And then people are like, hey, this is your Bible because your name's in it. So anyway, um, and let's walk through this a little bit as we again start to understand who is this God that is unfolding this story for us. But let's, before we get there, let's review where we've come from, from last week. And since it's a short review, because it's only one page, one chapter, um, it should go pretty quickly, except I'm a teacher. And there is no bell that's going to ring and be like, "Eh, oh, everyone just leaves. And I love that. So, and you'll probably get homework. So that's, uh, you're like, ah, I graduated for a reason. This kid, you won't get, no, you probably will get homework. Anyway, moving on. Um, So let's go back to page one. And last week, we saw something unfold. And again, the way in which this beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry is structured, giving us insight into the way in which God is like moving and shaping and things like that. And so maybe in your mind's eye or in on a paper, you can make a chart like this one. And we'll fill it in with the way in which those days progress in all of creation and see what God is doing. So it's open book. Uh, the Bible, uh, what is created on day one, on page one of the Bible? What does God do? Okay, he creates the heavens and the earth, and then he speaks, and he says, let there be light. He creates light, or he separates light from darkness. I had my children draw pictures for me, um, and so my son Abbott drew a light bulb. How do you describe light? And so he's a light bulb. All right, good deal. So, right, God separates light from darkness, and so we see this moment happening. Now, instead of moving across the page, we need to move down the page, down the column, and what happens on day two? Okay, he separates the waters of above from the waters below. So we get oceans and seas and we get clouds, right? And so we see the separation of the waters. What happens on day three? Ground, right? He brings forth ground and vegetation on that ground that flourishes as part of what God is doing. Good. Now let's shift over to the other column. What's day four? Okay, vegetation's coming in, and then on day four we see, okay, the stars. We see these hosts, right? The the larger to govern the day and the lesser to govern the night. Interestingly enough, it never says sun and moon. Like, it's just the major and the minors. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Interesting. Oh, oh, this is terrible. Uh, There's a day that God never says it's good, and there's another day that he says it's good twice. So that's weird. I don't know why. But I'm just saying, like, oh, is, this is what's fun when you, like, slow down and start reading this book. Like, interestingly, uh, moving on. We don't got time for this. Um, what's on day five? Okay, we see fish and we see birds, right, happening. And you can see there's a, a salmon. That's the uh, kind of purpley colored one that Alonzo drew in the uh, in the sea. And then a... Oh, airplane, that's, uh, that's an interpretation of uh, what God is doing on that day. Uh, and then what's on day six? Okay, animals and people, right? And so we see uh, people, and we see a monkey in the tree that was drawn, right? So we see the, the, the things that are, are going to be walking around planet Earth, right? 
So what we realized last week is that God is creating in this beautiful opening page, God is painting a picture for us of his character. It's not there to say if you're bored next week, you're going to say, I'm going to take next week off from work and I'm going to now create the whole of the universe. Here's the roadmap. That's not the point. The point is to tell us the nature and the character of this God who is the creator. And his nature and character is he forms out of nothing and then he fills it. He forms, creates these spaces of light and darkness and then he fills them with the hosts of the greater host to govern the day. That is what we interpret as the sun and the lesser to govern the night, the stars and the moon. He forms and he fills. Day two, he forms, he creates these spaces of the sea and the sky. And then on day five, he fills it with the fish and the birds. And then we see him bring forth the earth and vegetation. And then he fills it on day six with animals and with people to eat the vegetation and to care for it. God is forming, he's filling, he's forming, he's filling, he's forming, he's filling. Now, what's interesting, at least in my tradition growing up, that was always the climax of the story. Like, oh, and then thankfully, we came along. And now uh, it's, it's very good, God says. And it is. I'm not knocking that, but it's not the end of the narrative. That's not where the story ends. I don't know about you, but I live in a world that has a seven-day week. Well, we've only done six days. So we haven't gotten to the climax of the story. And we're not going to get there yet either. We have to wait. Because what's taking place now is, what's interesting is, at least for me, is the fact that something's going to happen on that day. And it's God's going to do something unique. On the last day, he's going to form and fill. That's weird. He breaks the rhythm. And in breaking the rhythm, it's for us, the reader, to take notice, saying, oh, this is when it's all coming together. Something beautiful is happening on this day because it's on this day God is going to create or form and fill it in one day. And what's interesting is, for if you're looking at your page at least, that's where the chapter mark is. Now, chapter marks are way later in biblical interpretation and, and, and writing. Um, and they're oftentimes arbitrary and can be confusing for the way that the narrative unfolds, which I think in this one it does, because they're like, oh, you know, day six, people, that's real good, let's stop there. And yet that's not where the story ends. And yet it picks up again. And that's what's most interesting, because what happens is, is we have one creation story in two acts. Now, what Eric did not say is the fact that I, uh, I'm, I'm a teacher and I, you know, I go here. I'm also a former theater director. And so, um, if I would have put in enough time, I would have made this sermon into a musical because who doesn't love musical theater? You don't need to raise your hand. That would make me feel bad. Anyway, because um, musical theater is great. Um, but that's what this is. This is one story in two acts. Act one is this first section, the one we just reviewed. So the first act is Genesis 1, 1 through 31. That's act one. And that's those first six days that God is, you know, forming and filling everything seen and unseen. 
And it's in that, that even at the beginning, the opening line says, in the beginning, God created the sky and the land, or the heavens and the earth, depending on what your translation is. It's saying, let's start by, with the idea of thinking sky, then land. The main character of the story is God. It's in the heavens that we find ourselves, in the sky where God himself dwells. And he's the main character of this story, of Act 1. And so we start there in the sky and we see how the land is made. And it's in this story, there at the end of Act 1, we see God create humanity. But humanity has something unique about them. And it's a fact that they are formed and shaped in the image of this God. But the story isn't over. That's just intermission now. We have to still learn about what's going to happen with this image bearer. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an image bearer? That's Act 2. So Act 2 opens up. And if we're going to skip a couple of verses because that's important. Um, And this starts in verse 4. And if you heard, or were, again, if I would have told you to pay attention to it, you would have made it, it made sense. But it's there that of a sudden we flip the order to which we're trying to understand this story. And it says, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, or the land and the sky. Okay, act two, we're going to take a different perspective. We started by saying God is the main character of this story. But now at the end of act one, we realize he made these image bearers. What are they going to be? Oh, now let's put them on the stage. Let's start in land space. And then God, the creation of that image bearer, we start to see that unfold and what that all means and how that's made manifest. Because though he was made in God's image, Act 2 gives us an insight that we should not think that we are deities then. We're not God. We're in his likeness. We are actually formed out of the dust of the Adumah. The Hebrew word at this point in the story for man is Adam. You know, we just translate it Adam. But it's just man. He took and made Adam, man, from the dust of the Adumah, the ground. We see this connection between humanity and the ground. But then it's just like a, a statue. Right? Like he just made like a, a clay blob. Something has to happen. And that's when God just <sighs> breathes. That's all it takes is God's breath to enter the lungs of this Adumah formation called Adam. And suddenly <sighs> bursts into being a created life-breathing being. And the bridge... Between Act 1 and Act 2, so maybe it's the first song of Act 2 or the last song of Act 1. I'm not quite certain. Suddenly my metaphor starts to break down as I try to use musical theater as a metaphor for anything. Anyway, moving on, is the, is the beginning of Chapter 2. And that's that day 7. It says this. And by the seventh day, God had finished all the work that he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And he blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. 
See, it's on day seven. God makes a space. And it's called Sabbath. And he says, I'm going to make a space here in all of creation. And instead of filling it with more stuff, he like gets in and he says, I'm going to dwell in this space. If you ever need to find me, I'm right here. In the whole created order, as I created spaces of light, of separation of the waters and of land, and then I filled it with the hosts of heaven and with fish and with birds and with people and humanity, as I formed and filled, formed and filled, formed and filled, I now have made a space, and I call it holy, and I'm going to put myself right there. Come on in. Come, because it's in this space that God shows us that there is an intimacy that he so desperately desires to have with his creation. I want to I hang out with you. I want to be with you. I want to enjoy a cosmic unity, one with you, my, the, the pinnacle of my creation, but with all of creation. I don't want something to come between us. Let's just, you know what, let's walk in the garden together. So that's what God does. We start to see that it's in this piece that God's intent in all of creation is not to be separate or distant from his creation, but to put himself right in the midst of it. And then what does it look like for those image bearers to actually experience that? That's what happens in chapter 2. And God starts saying, let's go and I'm going to put you in this garden in a land called delight. It's what the word Eden means. And he puts, him, he puts Adam there with himself. And they start going on a tour of the garden. And he starts saying, oh, Adam, look at these trees. This is, uh, these are peach trees. They're delicious. Wait till about August. And they're just going to, like the juice is going to flow down your chin. And oh, over here, these are uh, blueberry bushes. And Man, those two, wait till the big plump ones, the real sugary ones. And someday, Adam, you're going to figure it out. You're going to put those two bad boys together, make a cobbler, and it'll blow your mind. <laughs> like, like, like I, I honestly don't think that wasn't part of the conversation. Like, God is just like, he's there with Adam in the garden, enjoying this land of delight that just is like flourishing. Just Nobody's got to do nothing. It's just giving fruit and it's pleasing for the eye and good for eating. And, and there they are, walking and talking in the land of delight, enjoying a cosmic unity. And it's beautiful there in the garden. Now, I, I had a garden at our old house. We're still trying to figure out where to put one here. Um, and it's, I love gardening. I love like that idea that I could put a little seed in the ground and later like I can eat stuff. Um, and that, uh, this is cool. But for me, the picture of a garden is different than what maybe those first century folks or the first listeners of this story, or even the time when Jesus is walking around, what they would have pictured. So I just throw up a picture or two of what a garden would have looked like. These are gardens in the hills of Judea, um, about maybe, uh, 10 miles outside of Jerusalem, heading towards the, the uh, Mediterranean. And you can see they're terraced. These are actually gardens that are over 1,500 years old. Those walls are very ancient. Um, and so this is just how this has been. And you can see that there's, there's different crops. There's typically olive trees and vineyards planted in these, at least. Um, and as we see that, this is what they would have pictured. Now, again, that's not wrong for me to picture my own vegetable garden, but like, 
they're picturing olive groves and vineyards planted with big clusters of grapes dripping down as a way in which God again is showing us the picture of a flourishing reality to which he is enjoying with his creation. And it's into that space again, he's going to put Adam, the, the human, and he's going to place him in that garden. And, and look, if, if we move through the story at least, look at, uh, we, it's, man, we could spend, so I'm a Bible teacher, and I was teaching Old Testament, an Old Testament class last um, semester, and I think I spent a month on chapter one and two. So we got a little, anyway, so just read it this week, right? Like, it's just a crazy story, because we get this whole thing about, like, it's just big chunk to describe the, 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 the garden, and really specific about these four rivers, like, it's just interesting. Anyway, we have to skip all that. Uh, go to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Now, this is an interesting Hebrew sentence because the syntax of Hebrew or the way in which sentences are structured in Hebrew is very different than English. And so it's hard sometimes for us to differentiate what a particular sentence is talking about or at least what is modifying what. In other words, so if I say, you know, David ran slowly, the adjectives or the, the adverbs of slowly describing my running, which are modifying my behavior, tells you something because you understand English. The Hebrew is trickier to the way in which we might understand how some information might modify, or a clause might modify another segment of the sentence. And that's true in this particular sentence. When the Lord God put Adam in the garden, he is to do something, right? In our translation, my translation, it says, he is to work it and take care of it. And the it, in my English understanding, is to take care of and work the garden. And it's not a wrong translation, but it is an interesting one. And here's why. If we look at the Hebrew of that particular sentence, it says he put man in the garden to work it. And if we look at the word work, it's the word lebedah. And that word is translated to work, like to work something, to work at it. But most often in scripture, it's applied to the work in the service of God. It's what the Levites do to serve and to worship God. And so it's an interesting translation to say that that word work is modifying or applied to what is supposed to happen in the garden by Adam. So that's interesting, right? Is, is that word really modifying the work that Adam is to do in the garden? Hmm, interesting. Well, then we have the next word, right? To work it and to take care of it. And that is leshima. Say leshima. I didn't make you say the first one, but I don't care anymore. Leshima, again, is an interesting translation as we think of what it means to take care of it. And that one, again, translates differently as it relates to obedience. To keep or is oftentimes how we translate it uh, elsewhere in scriptures, or to obey. 
I'm going to ask my child, like, hey, can you take your dishes from the table and bring it to the dishwasher? I'm asking them to leshima me, to obey what I have said, to keep the instruction that I am giving them. So we can translate this as it to work and to keep the land or the garden. But it might, and because as the, again, the, the narrative is unfolding, it might better be translated that God puts Adam in the garden to worship and obey God. What's happening here in the garden? God is saying, I want to walk with you. I'm going to give you. This garden is going to absolutely flourish all the time. And all you need to do to continue to enjoy the realities of the garden is worship and obey me. Trust me. It's because it's right after that we get the prohibition. The big one that will be for next week. Don't eat of that tree. So yeah, he's supposed to work it too. But what's interesting is after, we'll get to there next week and in the coming weeks, after they do eat from that tree, spoiler alert, I should have said that before I said it. Anyway, shoot. Anyway, suddenly Adam has to work the ground. So why does he have to work the ground before they eat from the tree they're not supposed to eat from? doesn't make sense. This makes sense. What does God want to do in the garden? I just want to be with you. I want to enjoy a cosmic unity. you got to trust me. Don't eat from that tree. And if you trust me, if you keep my command, if you trust me enough to just walk with me in my ways, singing on key instead of thinking, well, I think this melody sounds nice over here. That was me eating. That was a strange way to act that out. If you trust me, we'll keep walking in this garden together. We'll keep enjoying this cosmic unity together. So worship me, trust me, obey me, and let's walk. Now what's interesting is after, so we get that, and then God says, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gives Adam this prohibition, this idea like, trust me in this one thing. And then, verse 18, And then the Lord God said, it is not good. Now that blew my mind the first time I read it. Because I thought in my theology, growing up in the church all along, I thought not good started after they ate from that tree in the middle. But here, God's own words, he's like, oh, this this isn't good. How can there not be good before page 3 that in my Bible it says the fall of man? There seems to be one thing that God thinks is not good before we start eating from that tree in the middle. And it's loneliness. God is so against loneliness. He looks down and says to Adam, oh, this, well, this, this ain't good. So he brings all the animals past, like to name them. Like, well, still we got nothing. He's still alone. So he has to create again. I like that. 
in the midst of creating all things, of forming and filling, and even creating a space where he might live in cosmic unity, God says, the best way for me to show you the ways in which I want to relate to you is if I let you relate one to another. That you as image bearers might lock arms one to another and move your way through this life, not alone, but together, because that will be a picture. That will be a picture for the way in which how I want to walk with you still. Trust me, worship me, obey me, and we'll live in this cosmic unity. And it's amazing, but you're going to have to trust me. What does it look like to be image bearers of this God? It means to lock arms and walk together, unified as a people of God in this weird and chaotic world. We have to start singing the song of heaven together, I think. I want to show you something. I'm a teacher, not a piano teacher. That's a preface. But I do know something about sound, which is interesting. And a piano helps describe it. And turns out there's a piano back here. Um, And turns out a lot of other junk. So we'll just close that again. Um, What's interesting is about sound, right? Sound, at least for me, fascinating. This is is fascinating right now, right? Like, I don't know how, how this actually works. I'll be honest with you. I'm saying words, and they're going, this is blowing my mind, it's going into this little thing on my face, which is going to a thing on my back that's like beaming through the air to a thing down here, which he's controlling in the back on an iPad, and it's coming out that speaker. That's weird. I don't, I don't understand how that works. Like, that's just crazy to me. And then even for me to say, like, you know, there's an eight-year-old riding on a purple hippopotamus solving differential equations. Like, that's strange. I can put that idea in your brain. Just from me, like, saying words that went into this. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't understand how this all works. Except to say that In that, every tone of my voice has a frequency. There's a wave of sound going through that's hitting your eardrum, and it's making sense. Now, every note, on a a piano at least, has a frequency. This A, above middle C, resonates at a frequency of 440 hertz. That A. Now, what's fascinating, at least, about that is the A below it, this one, the A below middle C, whoop, that's two notes, that's not the one. It's out of tune, but not that bad. That resonates at 220 hertz, half the frequency. That's kind of cool, right? It's why they sound good together. Or like a C, right? There, we can hear those all sound together because they're, they're resonating, they're, they're moving through the air in a, in a rhythm that fits together. So if we even, if we listen closely, so like that C in it actually has the same frequency as middle C. And so if I hold down this low C and just take the the hammer, the damper off from it, and if I strike the middle C, maybe I'll put my face by the piano, we'll actually hear middle C in that lower C. Okay, let's see if it works. 
Can you hear it? It's in there. It's up. That's just cool. Now, what's interesting is that in a like in a C, like in C, that's our frequencies. But what that's resonating in this lower C is this upper C. But it's not the first thing that resonates correctly. If the next one, next frequency that kind of fits is the E. And the next one is the G. So then you get a C major chord. Right? And it, there's a harmony. It, it fits together in a beautiful way. And if you were to just play that over again... Suddenly you are box concerto and C. Not the point, except that suddenly we see this story that if you that's some homework. Go home and listen to box piano concerto and C. And you'll hear a story unfold in the whole thing. A story of something that fits together to something that starts to travel farther and further away from home, but then it keeps coming home. What's the point of this creation story of act one and act two together? I think it's trying to tell us not the how of creation, but the who of creation. And that who is a God who says, you're created in my image. And I want to walk with you today and every day. I don't care how far you have traveled from home. You can come back home. And for you and for me, that is in one way and one way only. And it is in the person of Jesus Christ. Who came and started to sing the song of heaven. And said, come sing with me. Come sing this song of a hope that, in a world that is hopeless. A song of unity in the midst of division. A song of love in the midst of hatred. Come sing with me. And it's the same story that's taking place on page one and page two. I've created you in my image. You can sing. Because what's beautiful is that on page one and two, God created sound. He created sound to fit together like that. And then he waited. For someone to string a string and to start plucking it. And humanity made music. We get to sing. We get to sing the song of heaven because of the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. God is waiting for his human partners, people created in his image, to sing. He's created everything possible. He's created all things to fit together in a way just like it's true in the garden. He says, come back home and sing with me. Pray with me, please. Father, what a gift it is to recognize the realities to which we've been created. A people created in your image, which gives us this authority over all in order to be a people who do care for your creation, but most of all, to be a people who worship and obey you. So let us sing this week. Let us sing the song of heaven because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And Father, forgive us for any time that we have wandered far from home and started to sing our own song. May we 
recognize and be bound together one with another that we might sing the song of heaven under the cause of Jesus Christ. And so may he be magnified in everything that we do as we move in and through our week as image bearers of you walking with you in the garden still today. We love you and bless you and pray these things in the resurrected name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.